0: Before I start this new series, I want to give you an update on my daughter. I want to thank so many of you for so many of your prayers. She was in uh, intensive care all week. Uh, For those of you who weren't here last week, my daughter had broken her back years ago. She's gone through a series of several surgeries. She was having another procedure done to try to relieve some pain. They had accidentally hit some of the spinal fluid surrounding the spinal cord and causing her to have unbelievable headaches, nausea. She couldn't walk for a while. She, uh, it, was, it was really, really scary, really bad. Uh, my, my family, uh, my, my wife and my daughter came home last night, and it was the first time when I saw them that they both just broke down and cried. Uh, the trauma that what they felt of the week was just absolutely horrific. But on Tuesday afternoon, uh, the leak stopped. And she started to feel better, and she was discharged on Friday, and so she's home now resting. So I want to say thank you again for your prayers. That means the world to me. It's so, it's so funny, and I, I don't want to over-spiritualize stuff, because we know ultimate healing comes from God, so can you over-spiritualize anything, honestly? But we prayed, right? And you've prayed, and you prayed during the week. Well, Tuesday, she went through a litany of tests. She had an uh, MRI, and an X-ray, a CAT scan, all these different things, and they, they just were perplexed. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to help her. And then that afternoon, all of a sudden, she started feeling better. And they didn't put a catheter in her. They didn't do anything else. They just continued to monitor her. And, of course, I know where ultimate healing comes from. It comes from the Lord. And I know his hand was upon her. So, again, I want to say thank you for your prayers. That means the world. So, let's, let's pray, and uh, then we'll, we'll get into the message. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the ultimate healer. And nothing's impossible with you. And, and Lord, I know that there are people that are home watching here in this room that are watching, and, and they're looking for some peace. They're looking for an answer that's different than the one that they've received so far. Lord, they find themselves in a valley. They find themselves in a difficulty. And I, I just pray, Lord, that you would overwhelm them once again with your presence. Because, Lord, that's what we need more than anything else. We, we don't really need an answer. You're the answer. We need your presence in our life that gives us that peace. That passes all understanding. God, I pray that you would continue to develop within us this defiant, resilient faith that just won't let go, even when this world, the things that are happening to us, don't make any sense at all. Help us to trust you in ways we've never trusted you before. Lord, as we open up your word and we study about your return, Lord, I pray that we would look at this with great eyes of anticipation. A heart that is steady for you. And Lord, that your return would come quickly. We desperately need you to set things right. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get into the message. Years ago, there was an earthquake in Armenia. And 30,000 people died in the midst of that earthquake. There was a, a gentleman, a dad who ran across town to see if his son was okay. He was attending an elementary school there. When he turned the corner and saw in the distance, the elementary school had collapsed on top of itself. It appeared that there were absolutely no survivors. There's no way that anybody could have survived the wreckage that was there at that school. Well, the dad remembered a promise that he had made to his son, Armand. He said, I will always be there for you. No matter what you face, no matter what you go through, you can always count on your dad. I will come through for you. So he went over to where the area was where his child's classroom was, and he began to move one brick after another, one boulder after another, one piece of debris after another. And, of course, other parents started showing up to the school. And unbelievably, they were so distraught and so shocked at what had all taken place, they said, there's just no sense. There's no way that anyone could have survived. Look at all the wreckage. Just a huge mound of wreckage that was there. But he wouldn't stop. Even though no one else wanted to help him, he just kept moving one stone after another, after the other, after the other. Even police officers came over and said, you're going you're gonna to disturb it and make this situation worse than it needs to be. You need to stop what you're doing. But moved on by the promise that he had made to his son, he would not quit. Four hours went by, then eight hours went by, 12 hours went by. His hands are raw, hands are bleeding, 16 hours, 24 hours, 30 hours he's still going. At hour number 38, he pulls a boulder aside, calls out as he had a thousand times before his son's name, Armand, Armand. And under the wreckage, under the debris, he heard his son's voice for the first time. He just kept digging. He just kept digging. He called other people to come over and start digging. Somehow, when the earthquake occurred, it it caused kind of a dome underneath all that debris. And they pulled out Armand and his entire class with him. And this is what the little boy said to his dad. He said, Dad, I told everybody in my class that we didn't need to be afraid. That you would come for me. That if you were alive, I knew you would keep your promise and nothing would stop you from rescuing me. Friends, God has made a similar promise, hadn't He? He said, One day I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna take you to be with me. Last week, we ended our little series called Troublemaker, and this week, we start this brand new series called The End, and at the end of the Troublemaker series, what did we see? We we saw Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father, and as Jesus ascended before the disciples, there were angels that were there, and they said this to the disciples, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. One day, Jesus is going to crack open the sky, and he's going to make everything that's wrong right again. Friends, when you read the Bible, the entire Bible is about Jesus, isn't it? In the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, it's all about Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. God's going to become flesh. He's going to dwell among us. Prophets came and they prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. It was as if they were to say, listen, when you find the one who fulfills these some 300 different prophecies, you will know that you have found the right Messiah. And then in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all about Jesus has arrived. Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. Healing the blind, the deaf, the mute, the lame. Uh, Casting out evil spirits, telling storms to be still, raising people back to life again, conquering sin, death, and the grave. And then from the book of Acts all the way to Revelation, what's it really about? Jesus is coming back. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. Now, whenever we do a study about the end times or about the return of Jesus, generally speaking, I get one of two extreme things that take place in people. Um, Both of these are unhealthy, and I don't want you to have either one. Uh, For some of us, we go to the extreme of fear. Some folks didn't even come this weekend because they said, oh, my goodness, she's talking about the return of Jesus. He's talking about the end times. That stuff scares me. That stuff freaks me out. It's too much beyond me. It just stresses me out. There's enough other things in this world to be stressed out about. I don't want one more thing to be stressed out about. So they're scared. They don't want to hear about this. They don't want to talk about this. They don't want to study this. It's all too marvelous. It's all too supernatural. And So they'd rather just ignore these things. Friends, listen to me. I don't want you to be afraid of the return of Jesus. The return of Jesus isn't something to be fearful of if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It's something that you would look forward to. It's something that you would anticipate. Something that you couldn't wait for because it's going to be the greatest day Of of your life I am the father of three daughters And when they were little They would threaten me They would say things like We're going to live with you and mom forever That's a threat I don't know if you know that When your kids say that you think it's out of love No they're threatening you That's what's happening right there And so they would say things like Oh we're going to live with you forever And ever and ever And I'm like no you're not No you're not and I'd say, listen, you, you don't understand this. You don't fully grasp it right now at your tender young age. But there's going to be a day, oh, there's going to be a day that you're going to fall in love. And you're going to leave. You're going to leave. You're going to leave. And you're going to have a family of your own. You're going to have kids of your own. And it's a good thing, kids. It's a very good thing. And they'd say, oh, no. No, 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 no. I'm not marrying anybody, Daddy. I'm married to you. And I would say, no, you're not married to me, but one day, one day, you'll find the one who steals your heart away. And, oh, what a good day that would be. You see, in my daughter's minds, they just couldn't imagine that there would be a guy that would come in their life that would be smarter or stronger or (laughs) wiser than their dad. And to be honest with you, I find the idea a little far-fetched as well, okay? But I said, listen, don't aim that high. You're never going to hit that. I'll go, I'll go a little lower for yours, all right? But you know you're laughing because you know the day comes, right? The day comes when they don't want to live with mom and dad anymore. When they fall in love with somebody else, and they, and they want to move out, and they want to get married, and they want to have their own family. And if the guy is good enough, and if the daughter is old enough, 4550. <laughs> you'll look your daughter in the eye as I did just almost two years ago, and you'll say, We've prayed for this moment. And we've prayed for God to bring this godly young man into your life. And then the wedding day, oh, it's just a good day. Because you're getting rid of them, you see. <laughs> One last big bill, send them on their way, right? And I'm, of course, fortunate enough to do the weddings for my kids. And my daughter got married a couple of years ago. I stood next to her groom. She came out around that corner. And he just about lost it. There's something about the groom that just can't wait to be with his bride. I, I don't know if you understand this, but in the Bible, there's symbolism and in the symbolism of the Bible, it talks about the fact that uh, Jesus is the groom and that we're his bride. And he can't wait to come and take us to be with him. So, so the, the return of Jesus isn't something that you would dread. You would never dread your wedding day, would you? No, it's, it's a day that you anticipate, it's a day that you look forward to, it's a day that you prepare for. So don't go with one extreme where you're like, I'm just scared to death. Now, I'm not so concerned about that extreme. The other extreme is what I'm more concerned about. Others of you have kind of taken end time prophecy to a whole nother level. You're kind of, you know, in your basement, and you've got your charts, and you've got your timelines, and you've got it all figured out, and you've charted all the different prophecies, and you are absolutely certain that this is the timeline, this is the sequence of events, this is the way that it's all going to go down. And right now, you're sitting there with a piece of paper and a pen, and you're ready to write down everything that I say wrong, right? (laughs) See, here's what's interesting, friends. My timeline might not be like your timeline. I'm just going to be honest with you. There are several different ideas, several different theories. End-time prophecy is, is, meet, is steeped in mystery and symbolism. I mean, be okay that, uh, that you're wrong when you write these things down, when I share with you the real truth, all right? Just be okay with that, all right? That's, I'm just messing around. <laughs> Let, let's not major on the minors. And let's not be a church where we minor on the majors. And what's the major around here? It's to know Christ and make Christ known. So let's say my timeline doesn't jibe with yours. You don't need to send me an email, okay? You don't need to say, I want to have a lunch with you and I want to convince you of my position. Yes, and I think your position's probably absolutely wonderful. There's really three things that we know for sure, right? Number one is this, is Jesus is coming back. I think we would all agree with that. Jesus is coming back. Number two, I can say this for myself, I'm going to go with him. I know that. I hope you are, too. That's the main thing that we need to be concerned about, right? And the third thing that we know for sure is that when Jesus comes back, he's going to take care of business. Correct? And remember this. Remember this. We are not on the planning committee. We are on the welcoming committee, all right? That's our role in all of this. So let's not... Satan would love to make this kind of discussion divide us and and, and hurt us from being everything that God wants us to be. Let's not allow that to happen. All right, you ready? Let's get into it. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians. Now, 1 Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul back to the church at Thessalonica Interestingly enough, Paul started this church in just three weeks' time. That was it. Paul would go to a town. He would go to the synagogue. He would proclaim that Jesus has risen again from the dead. And he would see if there were any Jews that wanted to receive this message. They wanted to believe upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And after only three weeks, this church in Thessalonica started. Of course, it caused quite the uproar in the town. And so we find out that the other Jewish leaders were upset about Paul's message because they were taking their people away from them to believe something different than what they have been taught. And so they threatened to kill Paul. And Paul had to escape from Thessalonica in the middle of the night. Well, he left behind Timothy and Silas to help this new church start up. Paul went to Athens, and after a while, Timothy went to Athens. And then after a while, Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on the church. And so he did, and then he came back to where Paul was, and he gives the following report. Now, he's got good news, and he's got bad news. Uh, The good news is that little church in Thessalonica had remained faithful to the Lord, even in the midst of persecution. The bad news was that little church in Thessalonica believed that Jesus was going to return very, very shortly. So people started quitting their jobs. And they became a financial burden to the church. So they've got lots of questions about how Jesus is going to come back and what that day is actually going to look like. So they're very confused about this. And they're also wondering, because Jesus is taking some time before he's returned, some of the believers have have died. And so they want to know what happens to a person if they've died when Jesus returns. So Paul sits down to answer their questions. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul writes, Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. Now, what in the world does that mean, That fallen asleep? Well, there are some people that believe that when you die, your soul goes to sleep. It's called soul sleep, and so you just die, and you sleep in the grave. Your soul sleeps in the grave until the return of Jesus, and then your soul will be awakened at that moment in time, and then you'll be uh, gone off into eternity at that point in time. So no no one has has ascended right now. No one has gone on to the afterlife at this point because we're all asleep. But that's not Paul's point at all. When he he talks about those who have fallen asleep, he he doesn't want to come across and say those who have died. You know, he wants to be a little more politically correct with it. He didn't want to say those who have kicked the bucket, those who are pushing up daisies. He didn't want to say that kind of thing. He wants to say those who have fallen asleep. Now, listen, you always have to be careful building a doctrine around one verse of Scripture. You want to look at the totality of what the Bible says about what happens to a, a person once, once they die. So let's look at a couple of more passages of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul's talking about going into our heavenly home, and this is what he says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when a believer dies, what happens? Your soul immediately departs into the presence of the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Now this is interesting. Paul is debating at this point in time. He finds himself in prison, and he's not certain how things are going to go for him. He's not certain he's going to live to see the light of another day. So he's writing back to the church at Philippi, and he says, You know, I'm in quite the quandary, to be honest with you. He says, I desire to go ahead and be with the Lord, which would be far better. But if I stay here on this earth, I know that that will mean fruitful labor for all the churches. I just don't know which one I want to do. I mean, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he says, you know, I'd rather go ahead and be with Jesus. Isn't that what he says here? He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now the language here is speaking of an immediate departure immediately after death. Right? The soul departs the body, goes to be in the presence of the Lord. Do you remember when Jesus hung on the cross and he was crucified between two thieves? And one thief said one of the most tremendous statements of faith in the entire Bible. He says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And what did Jesus say to him? He said, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, Listen, you're gonna sleep it off for a few thousand years, then I'm gonna come back and your soul's gonna depart and everything's gonna be all right. No, he says, Today it's an immediate departure. Acts chapter 7. Stephen is the first Christian martyr, the first person to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. He's just proclaimed to this large group of people that Jesus has risen again from the dead. He's just proclaimed that they've murdered him, that they've killed him. And he has just proclaimed that they need to repent of their sin and turn their lives over to him. And man, they were so mad. They, they gnashed their teeth. They grabbed a hold of Stephen. They dragged him out in the streets. They took him outside of town. They threw him down in the pit. They took softball sized rocks and they pelted him again and again and again until they killed him. And Stephen knows that he's going to die and he has a vision that occurs. This is what the Bible says. Stephen cries out, I see heaven open. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Only place in scripture where Jesus stands. He's standing at the right hand of God. He stands up for us. It sure sounds to me like Stephen is heading right up into the presence of God. Doesn't it for you? How about... When Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter, James, and John went with him, and while he was up there, just days before he's going to be crucified for the sins of all mankind, who appears on that mountain but Elijah and Moses? Not one place in scripture says they had to wake Elijah and Moses up to show up to that mountain. It it appears that they were already awake, and they were already there. Jesus told a story one day about a rich man and a beggar by the name of Lazarus. He said both of them died. And the rich man went to hell. And Lazarus, the poor man, went to the bosom of Abraham. He went to paradise. It was an immediate departure. So so what happens when someone dies? Well, the shell, this is our shell, it goes into the ground. But our soul departs to be with the Lord. Years ago, my dad passed away. I think I've told this story before. It's funny. Uh, happened, uh, not, not that my dad died. That's not funny. Okay, so just make sure we get that straight. Uh, this happened back in 2009. My dad passed away. And uh, my, my, uh, my mom and my dad, they had prepaid for their funeral plans. So they didn't want to be a financial burden to anybody, so they, they prepaid for them. And my dad, before he died, <laughs> he said to my mom, you would think his parting words would be, I love you, I miss you, all that. I'm sure they were. But he also said, they're going to try to rip you off when you go <laughs> to the funeral home. So don't let them rip you off. Don't let them upsell anything. You just stick with the prepaid plan. They're going to try to tell you you need this, that, and the other. Don't buy any of that. That was my dad, okay, in a nutshell. So we, we go to the funeral home. And we're looking at all the different things, and my mom's got the paperwork. And he says, "Yes, you bought this forty some odd years ago. That's wonderful." And um, he said, uh, "Your husband." He tries to say this in a very delicate way. He said, "Your husband was a large man. My dad was not a tall man. My, my dad was five foot four, but he weighed over three hundred pounds. So he 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 liked to eat." I remember a few weeks after my dad passed away, my mom called me on the phone. She was crying. I said, what's the matter, Mom? She said, I just drove by your dad's favorite restaurant. And so I said the name of it, and she said, no, not that one. It was, it, was, it was this one. I said, Mom, if you start crying when you drive by every restaurant Dad loved, you're going to cry an awful lot. you understand what I'm saying? My dad loved to eat. Well, the funeral guy I said, well, I'm just trying to be as delicate as I can be. Your, your husband was a very large man. When you prepaid for this plan, you got a normal-sized casket. So when we put him in the casket, your husband looks like this. He said, now, I don't know. You're having a visitation. I don't know if you want your husband you know, to look like that. And I'll never forget what my mom said. She said, just shove him in. (laughs) That's what she said. Just shove him in. Over 50 years married, just shove him in. She said, he's not there anyway. That's just his shell. I said, Ma, we don't want Dad looking like this the whole time. So Christy and I, we bought the bigger casket, I'll tell you what. But she said, just shove him in. That's what she said right there. (laughs) Now, she was right, wasn't she? It is just a shell. Look at what happens next in this passage. It says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So Jesus will appear, and our loved ones will be with him and their bodies will come up, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Then the Bible says this, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The Lord will sound the command. Now here's the question, what will the command be? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say what Jesus is going to shout in that moment in time. But I think it's gonna be quick. Quick. I think it's going to be a simple phrase. And if you want to know my personal opinion, this is what I think Jesus is going to say Enough. Enough. Enough suffering, enough racism, enough starvation, enough perversion, enough trying to make wrong right, enough murder, enough war, enough lives trapped in hopelessness, enough sickness, enough disease. Enough. I've given you enough time. It's enough. And we will hear the trumpet call of God and the voice of the archangel. And ashes will be brought together. Bodies will be raised back to life again from the grave. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, oh, here we go again. Todd, this all sounds a little too supernatural for me. I mean, do we really buy into this? Do we really believe this is going to happen? I mean, come on. This, This sounds a little too supernatural. This sounds a little too impossible for me. You sure about that? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a baby be born? If you had never seen a baby be born and I described it to you, would you believe it? <laughs> I mean, would you believe If I said, listen, a sperm gets into an egg and the cell begins to multiply. And over time, like a- at three months, here's what the baby would look like. And at six months, here's what the child would look like. And at nine months, here's what the child would look like. And it all happens fantastically in the womb of the mother. And then the moment comes when the contractions hit and boom, chuck-a-lucka, Baby. (laughs) I saw things no man should ever see. That's all I'm saying. So we just go a boom, (laughs) chakalaka. The baby comes out, and you're like, wow. God does that every day. Over and over and over and over and over again. Do you think this is going to be too hard for him? So you cremated your loved one. All those ashes that you poured in that lake or you poured on the side of the mountain will all come back together again. And those bodies will rise again. And, and they'll meet their soul. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we will go to be in the presence of God Almighty. And we will get a brand new body. And now, now some of you are looking at me like, I, I don't know if I really want a new body. I don't like the old body. And I'm afraid the old body is going to look like the new body and vice versa, you know. And looking around this room, I can see why you'd be a little concerned about getting. <laughs> A body that would be similar to what you have. Yeah, I understand that. The older I get, the more my back goes out. My back goes out more than I do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I I got aches and pains. My knees are killing me. My lower back is killing me. I got a hernia right now. How do you like that? I got to have surgery for a stupid hernia. older you get, I just move in a piece of furniture. Boom, there it was. You know, that's the way that happens right there. Crazy, crazy stuff, right? Older you get, the more your body wastes away. But you're gonna get a new body. And it's gonna be painless, and it's gonna be powerful, and it's never gonna deteriorate. And I'm gonna look, I'm gonna be six foot three. That's what I'm gonna be. <laughs> and and I'm gonna have the physique that I always wanted, and I'm gonna have the face of Ryan Reynolds. That's what I'm gonna have. And you say, well, Todd, how in the world will we recognize you? I will have a name tag that says my name so you'll know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Look what the Bible says. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Do you know what that means? That means you're going to fly. You're going to be like Peter Pan. <laughs> you can fly, you can fly, you can fly. I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, we were in Sunday school class, and we were studying the end times. And most of the kids were absolutely lost, and I was just hanging on every word that the teacher was saying, taking down notes and things. And, and they said, well, how does it make you feel that Jesus could come back at any moment in time? And then kids kind of raised their hand One kid said, well, I'm not really excited about it, to be honest with you. And I thought, what is wrong with you? And they said, well, why aren't you excited about the return of Jesus? He said, well, I'm going to turn 16 next month, and I'd like to get my driver's license. (laughs) I'm thinking, dude, you're worried about a driver's license. You can fly, man. Did you not hear what they just said? (laughs) And then another kid said, well, I'm not really excited about it either. I don't want Jesus to come back until at least I can go on a date. And I thought, we are, Jesus is never coming back, kid, because you're ugly. You understand what I'm saying? I know I need to ask God to forgive me for that one. But he was. He was. I think he's still single to this day. I just do to do. I'm just messing around. It's a joke. Look what 1 Corinthians 2:9 says. I know I went too far. Don't, don't write me. I'm okay. All right. Here's what the Bible says: I love this verse. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And the return of Jesus is going to be greater than your driver's license. <laughs> going to be greater than the greatest date you've ever been on. Greater than your honeymoon. Can you imagine that? Gonna be the greatest thing you've ever experienced. No eye has seen, no mind has conceived, no ear has heard what God has prepared. For those who love him. I want you to do something for me. We're going to end our time by imagining what that day might be like. I'm going to ask you to do something you might not be comfortable doing. But just just play along with the pastor, would you? And I want you to play along at home as well, would you? But I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to read a scenario of how this day might go down. And I want you to imagine it in your mind as I read this to you. Okay? Everyone got their eyes closed? Here we go. You're enjoying a quiet evening at home watching TV. You think about getting up and getting something to eat out of the refrigerator when all of a sudden you hear a noise unlike anything you've ever heard before. And it's coming from everywhere. It sounds like a trumpet or more like 10,000 trumpets. And when you look out the window, your neighbor is already outside looking up in the sky with a look of terrified shock. You run outside, people have stopped their cars in the middle of the street, and children and adults have flooded out of their homes. You join everyone else on the planet in staring up in the sky. This can't be real, you think. You can't believe your eyes, you strain to open them wider to see what you've never seen before. Though it's late in the evening, the sky is blinding bright. You look away, trying to let your eyes adjust to the brightness above you from all directions. You hear voices, millions of them saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as your eyes adjust to the bright light, you see angels everywhere filling the sky. Then just as suddenly as you heard the trumpets, they're quiet. The angels are silent. They all turn and look in the same direction, and then the sky parts like curtains on a window, and there he is. It's Jesus, and everything that was so important is no longer important at all, for the king has come. You can open your eyes. What will that day be like for you? is that a day that you're looking forward to or is that a day you're scared to death of because you know you don't love him you know you're not living for him are you ready because jesus is coming back